Hello, listeners. Before we dive into this episode with Aaron Lockman, I have an announcement to make. Um, in this episode, we mentioned Bill DeFries, who, as some of you might know, the voice of Bob the Builder. But he was actually a great influence and a good friend to Aaron Lockman. And unfortunately, Bill passed away before this episode aired. Many love and thoughts are going out to Aaron Lockman, but also to Bill DeFries' friends and family. And this is a statement that Aaron has written. Bill was a delightful person and a huge mentor for me. He's entirely responsible for all of my voiceover successes so far, and he inspired in me a boundless enthusiasm for the art form because he was an enthusiastic, boundless kind of guy. Listening to the part where we talk about him was hard for me, but I've asked Connor and Matthew to leave it as is because that section is how Bill would want to be remembered. Fun, goofy, and jam-packed with laughs. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Aaron Lockman. Excuse me, this is my natural hair color. <laughs> dirty blondes, they say dirty, blonde, dirty blondes have more fun. That's what <laughs> they say, you know? Can't deal with this bullshit. Listen, the carpet matches okay. the drapes, that's Got what it. I'm saying. Guys, Excuse me. We're, we're, we're rolling right now. Hello! Hello. Welcome to uh, Are Your Parents, parents proud, proud of you? you? I'm Connor Brown. And I'm quite hung, Matthew Schufreiter. <laughs> Alright, so on today's Connor, episode, what do we, have on today, we have Aaron Lockman. Aaron Lockman is an actor, singer, playwright, theater critic, podcaster, general internet person, and a complex human who can't be easily categorized. Whoa! Damn it, yeah. The list in the way. That was good. That's, that's good. <laughs> Hello, Aaron. Hi. Hi. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm, I'm doing just fine. That's I'm great. having a good day. Well, thank you so much for coming to our podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. And usually we would say, oh, hey, have you been on a podcast before? But you actually have two podcasts. Do I? Well, yes. One at the moment. Yeah. Um, yes, but I, I have had two podcasts. <laughs> yes, the audio yes. diary of Aaron Lockman yes. and then the Astronomy Brothers. Yes, so the Astronomy Brothers is the current one. Uh, and uh, my brother and I just recorded an episode this weekend. Uh, it's going to be about exoplanets, so planets in other solar systems, uh, and the sort of early days of, of discovering those in the 90s. Uh, yeah, so it's very exciting. I'm very excited about it. I was just actually editing it at a coffee shop earlier today. Oh, good. Oh, that's yes. fun. How did you and your brother come up with this podcast? How did we come... The, 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 like, the podcast in general? Yeah. Yeah. So, for a while, my brother... So... Oh, God. How far do I rewind here? So, my brother was a huge, enormous space nerd growing up. Mm-hmm. And, uh... And he was sort of the dominant personality in the household. Uh, that includes my parents. And, um, and uh, so I was just kind of a space nerd by proxy. Yeah. I was just sort of dragged along for the ride. Um, so, you know, we grew up. We moved out. I moved to Chicago. Eventually, after a few years, I got a job at the Adler Planetarium. Um, and I sort of started rediscovering my own sort of love for astronomy. Um, and Independent of Seth. And then around the same time, he got a radio show on my mom's community radio station that she she works at. Um, That was called Radio Astronomy, and then that ended after a few years. Um, Although one time before it ended, I was on it briefly to talk about working at the Planetarium, 
And we, Seth and I, had like an hour of audio yeah. that we just had, that they just had to cut for the radio show. But we went on tangents. We started talking about <laughs> Io's moons. Sorry, no. Io is one of the. We started talking about Jupiter's moons, and Io is one of those moons. Io does not have any moons that I know of. Um, and so we started talking about all kinds of crazy. Can I swear on this podcast? Oh, yeah. Can I yeah. we started just started talking about all kinds of crazy shit. And after afterwards, I turned to him and I said, "You know, I genuinely think we could keep this up in like a podcast." And Seth was like, "Oh, I'm very busy right now, but um, sure, let's try it." And then, like two years later, it was always in the back of our heads. But like two years later, we actually did it. Uh, and so, like in, starting in September 2019, this previous mm-hmm. September. Uh, we started putting them out once a month, mm-hmm. uh, and it's about an hour-long episode once a month, which is all we can really handle at the moment, because we both have two jobs and all that. Um, but it's fun. It's fun. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's delightful. And we've already even, like, had some guests. Bill Nye? Bill Nye? Is it Bill Nye? No, oh. no, not <laughs> Bill Nye. But we talked to a lady named uh, Christina Manzano, who uh, talked to us all about... The 30 meter telescope protests in Hawaii. Oh, wow. And that was fascinating. And then we also had Dr. Seth Shostak, who is, yeah, I don't, I didn't know either, um, but he is the head astronomer at SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, uh, the SETI Institute. Um, and, and his whole job is like using radio telescopes to listen for alien signals. And they haven't found one yet, but they're trying. Uh, and that was a whole fascinating conversation. And then, obviously, most of the episodes are just me and Seth talking about, you know, fun stuff, whatever we want to do that's related to astronomy. This one, this most recent one, is going to be more educational. Mm-hmm. We're talking about exoplanets. But we also did a weird, crazy one uh, about uh, astronomy and Harry Potter uh, and how oh, fucking weird it oh, is. Dang. Seth doesn't let me swear on the podcast. Oh, so I'm just going to watch how fucking weird it is. <laughs> That wizards, it's like they study astronomy, it's like the only muggle subject that they study. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's so fucking weird. And then, and then, like, you would think it's because, like, planets are magical and it all relates to astrology, but no, astrology is a completely different related subject. And it's not even an entire subject, it's just sort of like a, a unit that they do in divination. Yeah. And furthermore, like, Professor Trelawney, who's a human, teaches it for a little bit, but then Ferenz, who's a centaur, teaches it for a little bit. And, like, human and centaur astrology is. Yeah. Sorry, I'm basically summarizing the episode, and you should just go listen to it. Or read the um, Harry Potter books, too. <laughs> we should read the Harry Potter books and then and listen then to the listen. episode. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, like, it's, but it's fascinating, and I go on for a very long time about it. And it turns out you could probably ride a broomstick to space, and, you know, it's... It, it, so, you should just go listen to it. It's, it's crazy. Oh, I can't um, wait. Oh, wow. Yes, yeah, so that, that is out now. Um, but, yeah, I think it hits a good mix of, like... Uh, Seth's friends are mostly like already astronomy nerds, and my friends are mostly like theater people who are like, "Oh, that's cool! I like space." Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think hopefully what we're going for is like a good balance of like easy pop science and like <laughs> deep dives into like actual stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. um, yeah. So anyway, that's fun. I've just been editing that today, so it's oh, nice to cool. bring that All back. Right, yeah. Head. Yeah, and you had another podcast that you said that's. 
Probably on hiatus. Or... So it's not happening at the moment. So <laughs> this is very complicated. And this is the um, audio diaries of Aaron Lockman. The audio diary, singular, of Aaron Lockman. Oh. Wait, um, <clears throat> yes. So, oh gosh. So this was my first ever non-dorm apartment. This was like 2015. Mm-hmm. And randomly, just one night, I sat down and wrote three episodes of <clears throat> of just like... A, uh, a scripted thing where I just interview my three roommates that I had just moved in with, mm-hmm. and I use their actual names and some some things about their personality, uh, and they were all like supernatural entities of some kind. So I had one roommate that was like perpetually trapped in a never-ending game of Magic: The Gathering. <laughs> I had one roommate who was like a sentient book that like grew into a human body, and I had another roommate that was a werewolf. Um, and, you know, he was the basic one because he was just yeah. like, more effort, you know? <laughs> um, and, then, uh, and then I just kept writing, uh, you know, fiction uh, about, you know, the lives of these, you know, fictional characters who had our real names. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's weird. I feel, uh, so a lot of those people... I think all three of those roommates I just do not associate with currently anymore <laughs> for various reasons, yeah. you know. Um, and but, but there are other characters. Like, I, it wasn't just the roommates. There are a few other characters that are also the real names of people I knew at the time. Mm-hmm. And some of them I still do know. And some of them I am still friends with. So it's very strange. It's a bizarre... It's a bizarre thing to listen to for me, because mm-hmm. um, on the one hand, I'm really proud of some of the writing that I did, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it holds up. But on the other hand, like, uh, you know, don't ever do it. Don't ever do that. That's my advice. <laughs> because when you write fiction about your real friends with their real names, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, real friend groups have drama. Yeah. And things happen, and and it gets too real, mm. um, and that's sort of why I eventually had to stop doing it. Um, and then, like, I had a big long hiatus where I just didn't do it, um, and then and then then I, I came back in a new apartment with new roommates again, using their actual names. But then, you know, the same the same fucking thing happened. And, you know, because real groups of friends have drama and having, oh, a, yeah. having a podcast which, where, where it feels like I'm making meta-commentary on that drama, you know, even if I'm not necessarily, it gets dicey. So I stopped again. Um, you know, I think I stopped right around the 2016 election because, you know, uh. you know I was just depressed, uh, as were many of us. But, um, but then, you know, then a year later I came back and did... Um, a little mini-series that I called Unreviewable, mm-hmm. where I just reviewed really nebulous things on a five-star scale. Uh, sort of ripped off the concept from this different podcast called The Anthropocene Review that's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just this author named John Green. He like reviews different aspects of the human-centered planet on a five-star scale, so I stole the concept from him. But I reviewed my own things. I reviewed like Star Trek, just all of it. Um, and then I reviewed bisexuality, and I reviewed the feeling of failure, mm-hmm. and like you know, like, so I did that for six episodes, yeah. and then I stopped, and I haven't done anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so like, and so right now it's it's not on any of the podcasts hosts; it's mm-hmm. just on my YouTube page okay. because my YouTube page is free. <laughs> yeah, uh, you gotta, yeah, you know well, you know very well. Um, you gotta pay a hosting website to have all these podcast episodes up um but um so you can listen to it on my youtube page 
but um, uh, I don't I don't see a current space where I'm making more of it right now. If I want to, I, I'm not opposed to like you know just writing some a little bit of nonfiction and then. Uh, and then, you know, putting it, recording it with my voice and my mouth and putting it on a podcast or something. So I could continue the audio diary of Aaron Lockman. But right now I just, I just have a blog where I do that, yeah. uh, without recording it. Um, and here. I have a bunch of other stuff going on. I, you know, I have this new podcast now. So like, it's weird. The audio diary of Aaron Lockman makes me feel weird because I'm really proud of it, mm-hmm. but it's also slightly uncomfortable sometimes. For sure. Um, but... I encourage you to go listen to it. I'm really proud of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's weird. That's a whole thing. <laughs> Rate that on a five star. <laughs> sure. Yes. Oh, no. Oh, oh. Yep. <laughs> We're professional. So uh, let's transition then okay. to, <laughs> to Little Aaron. Uh, Little Aaron. Yeah. So where did you grow up? Oh, where did I grow up? I grew up in Kennebunk, Maine. Um, I was born in, like, Bar Harbor, but I don't remember it at all. We moved when I was very young to Kennebunk, Maine. Um, it's a very sort of, uh, very waspy sort of suburb of, uh, Portland, Maine, uh, in the southern, in the southern, very, very southern part of Maine, uh, where all the civilization is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was nice. I grew up very Jewish in a very Protestant uh, you know, very, very affluent community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I never really liked anybody in Kennebunk. Um, I had, you know, I had friends, but it was, it was like the friendships on the Big Bang Theory, you know, it was mm-hmm. a lot of very adversarial nerd bro um, stuff. Uh, oftentimes, like, I can't watch the Big Bang Theory because it's very painful. Um, <clears throat> and so, also, it's bad. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> There's the gossip. Anyway, yeah, don't tell anybody I told you that. Uh, now, my, my one thing I cannot reconcile, I have a very good relationship with my mother, but she, she watches The Big Bang Theory, and it's oh, just no. very difficult sometimes. Um, where, how did I get on that? Kenny Bunk! <laughs> Kenny Bunk, Maine. Yes, no, it was nice. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if there's any particular notes about my childhood that are important, except the one thing that I can tell you is definitively important is that when we were growing up, uh, for all the different Jewish holidays, my brother and I would write skits uh, for each of the Jewish holidays, um, and every year we would have a different theme. So one year we did like news reports from the Bible stories, like a time-traveling news reporter would go back in time and report on the Bible stories. It was called WJEW Eye for an Eyewitness News. That was one year, and then next one one other year we did uh, Jew Trek. So we just set the Bible stories in space. Uh, um, and then one year we did like game shows. Um, there, so there was Jupiter, sorry, Jupiter. That was for Hanukkah. And then uh, oh, I, and then we did one other one. And then we never got to do Wheel of Mazel. <laughs> I think we came up with Wheel of Mazel, and I think we we're going to do it for Passover, but that just didn't work out. Um, so like, oh, oh, and then one year we did, uh, the theme was, it was like parody Ken Burns documentaries. <laughs> and so it was like, <laughs> Ken Bernstein is what we did. And so, um, uh, the, so we, we did like an entire documentary about latkes for Hanukkah. The documentary about for Passover was like for matzah. Uh, the, the documentary for Sukkot was how sukkahs were invented. So like... Uh, so that was, that was very much the inception of me, you know, 
writing and acting. And, and, and we make all the kids perform. Oh, all the, all the oh, kids obviously. performed for the adults. Except oh, there was yeah. one adult, our friend John Coston. Uh, he was always God. He always played God, no matter what <laughs> the no, what, no matter what the present, the, the, no matter what the spiel was, no matter what the, the, the particular premise was for for any uh, no reason. I don't know. I think he was just had a had a nice godlike voice or whatever. Oh. Um, yeah. No. How often can you play God? You know? Exactly. Uh, so that was that was that was the sort of most formative thing on my childhood that I talk about whenever I'm on podcasts. Yeah. That's so um, funny. Yes. You, you have a brother. Uh, yes. Older or I, younger? He, older, yes. Okay. Um, he's two years older than me. I make a podcast with him. His name is Seth. Um, he's, he's great. He's cool. Um, yeah, because he... Yeah. Uh, I was going to say something, but I completely forgot what it was. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and would you say your relationship with your family was pretty close? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know... <laughs> I like Seth a lot better as an adult than I did as a kid. Oh, really? He would, you know, completely agree with that. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, he's, he's so, so yeah, and it's funny because, like, now, now, nowadays I sometimes feel like he's the goofier one. Oh. So now, sometimes now I feel like I have to rein him in like I'm the older sibling. <laughs> it's very strange. Take it back. Take it back. Uh, but he was very much, very much like a buzzkill, and much smarter than not only me but also everybody uh, oh. when he was when he was a kid. Um, so that was a whole thing. Uh, but you know, we have a much better relationship now. I think working on the podcast has been good for us because oh, we have like a fun little project that we yeah. work on together, and we and then also we just talk more often, like yeah. not about the podcast. Uh, your mom did community radio. Uh, yes, yeah. So we all kind of have a audio bug. It seems yeah. like. Yeah. Um, she was also. My mom was a folk musician. She still is. Still is, but she doesn't do as much uh, performing anymore. Um, but you can find her on Spotify. Dale Robin Goodman. She's on there. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, she's she she was a folk musician uh, for for a good long while. So she knows all the folk musicians. And then my dad was a violinist. Uh, well, he still is. I don't know why I'm talking in the past tense. He still is a violinist. He just doesn't do as much right now. Um, so we always, we were always a very musical family. Uh, so, you know, and we're, and we're Jewish, so we're all, like, loud and obnoxious. Um, you know, well, my, not my dad so much. My dad's pretty, pretty quiet. He's, he's pretty chill. Okay. Yeah, he's the normal one of the family. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody else is a little over the top. And how would you... You see, you, had, you did radio. Did you do a lot of performing, or how would you describe yourself as a kid? When I was a kid, I did a lot of performing. My very first show, I was eight years old, and I was in The Emperor's New Clothes. <laughs> I was the prince uh, who, in this production, like also doubled as like the boy in the crowd who shouts, He's not wearing anything! <laughs> um, which kind of changes the dynamic when it's like the king's own son. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, anyway... Uh, I didn't even think about that until just now, um, but you know, I did summer. I did, I did, you know, theater summer camps, yeah. and mm -hmm. I did all those things. I was, you know, one of those insufferable theater kids who just has to be performing all the time. Um, yeah, so you know, that's that's fine. I accept it's about myself. <laughs> <laughs> and what brought you to Chicago? Um, I came to Columbia Chicago. I came to Columbia Chicago College. Columbia College, Chicago. There we are. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, you know, it's their fault. They made it a tongue twister. <laughs> uh, and um, I, I, you know, I had a pretty good time at Columbia. I met lots of cool people. Hey. And, um, and 
uh, and I liked Chicago, so I stayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found, I don't know, like I, uh, yeah, I, I, I like Chicago. I've been here for about six and a half years now, almost seven, mm-hmm. and I, I just like it. It's nice. And I, I have, now I have two jobs that I think are like very, like sort of keyed in, they feel very quintessential Chicago to me. Um, I, I, I work at the Adler Planetarium, you know, big Chicago landmark, and then I also, I'm going to start doing architecture tours on the Chicago River okay. next month. Um, well, you know, hopefully next month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I feel very at home here. I like it. I'm, I, you know, I feel, uh, yeah, and I, you know, I feel very, like, well, you know, finger on the pulse is perhaps strong, but I feel very keyed into the Chicago theater scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I like it here. Great. Yeah. Did you start off as an acting major or did you? I, I was an acting major. Okay. Yes. So I, I did the full acting major thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and after graduating, I've become a little less interested in being your traditional, like, you know, just act everywhere, yeah. try and, you know, you know, do, uh, you know, audition all the time and stuff. Yeah. Um, just because I think, you know, I tried it. I did that whole thing of right after you graduate, you panic a little bit, and you so you just audition for everything. Yeah. And I got cast in, like, you know, two shows, like, very quick in succession. And, oh, God, I, well, I won't name theater companies, but one was very terrible. And one was really great, but it was a lot. Mm of my time mm-hmm. and both of them were you know stipend based mm-hmm. based so you know it's a lot of non-equity work in, in Chicago which like if that's what you want to do I support you 100% a lot of my friends do that I just felt you know the economic came crashing down on my head when it was like you know thank you for three months of your backbreaking work here's $125 yeah. Uh, and, you know, so many dogs I could have walked in that time. So many shifts at work I could have picked up in that time. You know, being rich helps. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially if you're crashing EPAs. Being God. rich helps. Um, and, you know, if you're not rich, you just kind of have to either, you know, just miss a bunch of work or have, like, really insane time management skills mm-hmm. uh, in order to, like, not die all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like... I still audition for things. I auditioned for something just this December that I didn't get. But I audition for things more infrequently. Mm-hmm. And I'm very picky about it. Mm-hmm. And I have to, like, I have to, like, know somebody or be, like, really into the project, you know. Uh, so I'm defining myself a little less as being an actor. I'm still an actor. Mm-hmm. I still like to act. I'm just very picky about it now. Mm-hmm. So, which means I just act less. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and I still feel like I'm doing theater because I write about theater. Yeah, let's talk about that. How did you get into playwriting? Yes, well, I do write plays, um, but I also write about plays. Mm -hmm. I write for Rescripted.org. But yes, uh, I also playwright. Well, you know, originally the playwriting thing was very much, you know, in sync with my... With my thing, because, you know, I wrote the skits with my brother when I was a kid. With that whole acting thing. Um, But, um, yeah, didn't really... Yeah, I've I've pretty much always written plays. In high school, I wrote a play called The Ghost Boy that, like... Oh, this is a funny story, is that my senior year, uh, my high school, for their spring musical, there was one shining moment where it looked like they were going to do Urinetown, Mm -hmm. but 
the the school board fucking chickened out because it has urine in the title, and so they did cats instead. Oh, oh lame. even better. Yes, uh, and I flat out refused to audition for it. Yeah, uh, and instead that spring I did I organized and directed a student written play night, hmm. um, and it was very difficult. It was not easy, um, but one I put one of my I wrote one of my own plays there. Uh, and I made I made my theater teacher like do uh, handwrite. We, his name was Mr. Handwrite, but we could just all just called him Handwrite. Huh. Uh, and I made Handwrite do like an independent study with me, where like the point of the class is that I write a play and then I produce an entire student written play night. I hold auditions. I get other students to write plays or send me their plays, um, and uh, and we put on a show. Um, and so that was like my big thing of like. Like, oh yeah, no, if, if that, that's the biggest, that's the best advice I can give to anybody is like, if nobody is doing the work you want to do, just do it yourself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it'll be hard cause it won't, cause you know, you know, who, who, who are you? What are you doing? You just got to organize the whole thing yourself and that's not easy. But you know, the only way to do it is to learn how to do it and just do it. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so that sort of like set the stage and then in, in high school, sorry, in college, I sort of did half a minor in like fiction writing and half a minor in playwriting, mm-hmm. and I just didn't declare a minor in either, which is fine because nobody gives a shit about minors. <laughs> um, so, so like I, I got, I felt like I got the best of both worlds. I took a few fiction writing classes and I took a few playwriting classes, um, and I didn't write anything good until after college, um, which you know that's fine. That's what college is for. Yeah. Um, but I certainly, certainly, good things started in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I, I, I took a class, solo performance class with, with Stephanie Shaw, previous guest on this very podcast. Who is she? I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking. Who, who is that? Who, <laughs> who the hell is that? Um, oh, I have to go see You're in Town. You have to say that she directed You're in Town. Yeah. 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 And Ahmad, Ahmad is playing Bobby. Yeah. And Ahmad, when I was the puppeteer for the plant, he was the voice for the plant. Yeah. And I'm so excited. Anyway, tangent. What was I talking about? Uh, solo performance. Yes. So that that like, especially I was like right towards the end of college, and that really reinvigorated my love of writing and stuff. Um, so yeah, and I've been like you know since graduating, I've been doing things here, been doing things there. Nothing's really exactly taken off yet, but you know I'm I'm trying. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I took a class at the beginning of 2019, about a year ago. I took a class um, at Jackalope with Calamity West. Oh cool. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. Um, and I finished a draft of a play uh, there. Um, yeah, no, weirdly, I'm just writing a lot of science fiction plays, uh, which, you know, you lean into it. Nothing wrong with that. You gotta, you gotta lean into it. Um, but yeah. I mean, I'm a fan of superheroes in love. I was gonna say, you write that play. Yes, so we work together. This yeah. is mostly how we know each other. I feel yeah. like we kind of knew each other before Parties that. Parties like, or something. You we know. had, like, seen each other around the theater building, but this is how we knew each other is that in. What was this, 2016 or 2015? I want to say 16 or 17, actually. No, no, it was... Okay, so I did the Fresh Ink Festival two years in a row. Mm -hmm. One of them was a sort of revamped version of The Ghost Boy, that same play that I wrote in high school. Um, I wrote another draft of it, and it is much better, and reading that old draft makes me weep. (laughs) Um, But I wrote a new draft of it, and I think that was 2016 Fresh Ink. Mm -hmm. And then 2017 Fresh Ink is when we did Superheroes in Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
Yeah, no, and that was fa- that was that was fascinating. So, but I had a lot of fun overall. I had fun. Yeah, it was yeah. great that we 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 got a great group of actors. Um, you know, that's uh, you know, I got mostly people I encouraged to audition. Uh, <laughs> who did we work with? We worked with Alex Stewart, also Alex, previous guest um, on this very podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who else was, was Andrew on Casey? Andrew Casey, Sophie Rosado. Sophie Rosado, who I yeah, who who was great. She was she was actually in a reading I did just last year. Oh, um, yeah. uh, the 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 sci-fi play that I developed in in the class with Calamity West. Uh, we had a reading of it at Jackalope, and she was in that, and she was great. Um, and yeah, and uh, other people. Oh, I, it was a very small cast. It was just a cast of five. Um, who who was the? Amazing. So there was you. Hang on, I'm counting. There was you, Alex, Andrew, Sophie, and who was the Elliot. fifth person? Elliot. Okay, yes, Elliot. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, that was a fun time. Yes, Aaron. Do you know how you and I met? So. <laughs> Again, I feel like we've seen each other around the theater building. Okay, so we were called back for the same part in Little Shop of Horrors. Right! <laughs> and I'm going to tell our okay. listeners this story. I don't remember this at all. Okay, so like, no feelings whatsoever. Sorry, no, no, it's fine. Like, there's so many people in college yeah. that I'll, like, I'll run into them and they'll be like, oh, I've probably seen you around no, the theater sure. building. So, for our listeners, so how Aaron and I met, we were called back for... Uh, Columbia did Little Shop of Horrors right. in the spring of 2017. Yes. So we were called back for the puppet of The puppeteer, Bobby, yes. But not the voice. Right. We were the mm-hmm. puppet. Right. So we, Which is the good way to do it, yeah. because there are some productions that try to have the actor do both. It's both terrible. It's hard. Because operating the puppet requires so much no kidding. exercise. <laughs> so we're, yes. we're in the room, and the director... Uh, came out and he goes, Hi guys, I have no idea what's going to happen, but let's make shit up. And right. he took us into this shed that they had at the time. And he goes, You have 45 minutes to make your own Audrey Do. And right. Like, and, and we just like cobbled it together no with, I love with it. various props and various things that were just in the closet. And for my, my sake, it was the most fun and stress free mm. callback I have ever been yes. to. Because we had, I had no idea what the hell I was Exactly. Doing. And then we performed. Performed a bit of uh-huh. we performed a bit of of no 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 not feed me the supper other time. one but um, the first time the oh, supper what's, time supper time yes, yes. he's got his facts all free that one uh, yes and you did, did you with with the Seymours oh, with the Seymours who were called back yeah yeah oh that was so fun I'm so jealous yeah um, but you. You do a lot of puppetry, correct? I didn't then. I I, I do now. Okay. Um, what gave well, you the bug? Uh, <laughs> kind of then. Like I hadn't done puppetry before then. Oh uh, wow! But then, like the year after that, I auditioned for Avenue Q. Okay. Uh, and like the first week of Avenue Q rehearsals, when I when I, I was casting, and the, the the first week of Avenue Q rehearsals was just a puppet workshop. Okay. And I was like, this is amazing. And so then our puppet director. Um, at the end of, towards the end of production, I asked him, like, I kind of want to buy a puppet. Because previously, I had been working with this really shitty puppet that, like, a friend of mine made for me in a puppetry class at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the worst thing. It was, like, made out of styrofoam. Yeah. And you, yeah. you couldn't open the mouth right. And, like, that's fine because it's a puppetry class. And, like, I took the gift in the spirit in which it was received. Oh, for sure. Um, although I, I don't think I'm friends with that person anymore. But, <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Uh, what was I saying? I was saying 
Um, but, but so then, like, I, I purchased a puppet. He's mm-hmm. delightful. His name is Chester. He's a big, like, red-orange furry monster. Um, and uh, I, I auditioned for a few things right after Avenue Q um, with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was great. And I haven't, I haven't, you know, done any particular major puppet projects with him. Yeah. Um, but... You, use, you sing with that one, right? Is that... It's a I haven't game. yet. I would oh, love no. to. Oh, sorry, for um, Avenue Q. You, you, it's, it's the singing and Yes. Puppet, in right? Avenue Q, the convention is that you, uh, you're you just dressed in black and there's mm-hmm. no effort made to hide your face. Yeah. Uh, and you just hold the puppet on your arm. And and at, it's great because I've seen several productions of it. And after a while, like you kind of stop noticing the people mm-hmm. and you just look at the puppets. And it's so great. Fun. Yeah. Like it's, it's a beautiful expression of suspension of disbelief in theater. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, fun. And what? <laughs> you told me to go ahead. Oh, I'm so annoyed. Okay. Well, no, yeah. Funny enough, Avenue Q was also what got me the puppetry bug, and I was the second puppeteer of Nikki. Of, of who? Nikki. Oh, okay. Oh, like the so person I was, who does the other hand. I was hand? the right hand. Oh, there They're you go. They're right hand man. Yeah. But I'm no, exactly. Yes. No, that that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say, and then for Little Shop. That wasn't the typical Audrey 2 plant, correct? Right. It kind of... So most of the time, the Audrey 2 plants kind of try to hide the puppeteer. Okay. Um, and so like the puppeteer is like inside this big, usually foam thing, and they just make the mouth open up. Like a plant. Um, but what was fascinating is that in this production, they kind of... At like you know they, He said it at the callback, is that uh, Wooly... Who's great? We love Wooly. Wooly just kind of made it up as he went along, yeah. and so he worked with the puppet designer, and he worked with me um, to like make a puppet, and he kind of went the Avenue Q route okay. of like just having the puppeteer just be there. Mm-hmm. I was dressed in dark green clothing, um, and I just I and I had my hands like one hand was on the stick that that connects to the lower jaw, and one, the other hand was just like extended all the way. In a sort of like, if my hand were visible, it would look like I was hiling Hitler, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, and 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 just operating the mouth that way, um, and and it was really cool because what it meant was I could move my body around and move the head around. And a lot of Audrey Two puppets, there's no like emotional articulation; it's just pretty much the mouth. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this Audrey too, it got taller, it got shorter, it would go up when it was happy, and there was, there's one point where, like, I just turned the head right upside down and said, Fee, me, like a, like a, like a, like a sad little puppy. Yeah. Um, and so, like, there, so I could make, make the, make the movement of the Audrey two puppet more serpentine at times, mm-hmm. more dog-like at times. Cool. The only problem with it was that the mechanism of eating people was a little confused, and then instead of, because I couldn't shove them into my mouth, yeah. Yeah. because that's where the puppeteer was, so instead, Audrey two just kind of clamps onto them with his, with, with his mouth, and just shoves them into the planter box. Oh, which kind of yeah, it kind of works. It kind of makes sense. And then it was really cool because there was a slide, like there was a hole, and then there was a slide, and they just it was slid down and came out backstage. Uh, the, the, the performers did, uh, so it was really cool. It was just like, okay, that's a little weird. He's like a carnivorous plant, and then he just shoves him into the planter box. But you know, whatever. Not get those um, nutrients. Yeah, yeah really no, but it was really cool because we could do so much more. Um, it really felt like puppetry. Mm-hmm. It really felt like telling a story with this big, uh, with this big plant. So yeah, let's take it back to your writing. How did you get involved with Rescriptive? Yes, wonderful. Um, well, it's just a weird 
thing of, like, you never know which random thing you apply to is going to work out. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, I submit my plays to places. I apply sometimes to, like, big writing things. Um, but then, randomly, one time, uh, like, my, my friend Almanya, like, randomly texted me and was like, Hey, my friend Regina is, like, doing a thing called, like, The Key, and it's uh, The Key, colon, The Young Critics Mentorship Program. Uh, and you should apply, because I had already been writing reviews for performing, um, and, you know, that just happened because, like, a friend posted a Facebook status being like, hey, uh, you know, performing is looking for you new reviewers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, like, I, I wrote some reviews for them, and they were not great, because I was very new to writing reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to, I tr- often, like, in my very early writing reviews days, I would got, tried to be, like, very jokey. And very like, this show is like if you put a roll of quarters in a dryer and stuck in some Fruit Loops and tried to do like really colorful metaphors or something. <laughs> and it just came off as insincere, you know. Um, so, but, so I took this class. It was like only for people like 18 to 23. And I was 23 at the time. Um, and it was, it's cool because it's a free class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you actually get like a $25 stipend for the class. Oh, um, nice. Yes. So, like, you know, it's not a lot. It's not like you're being paid for the class, but it's, you know, a little bit of compensation for your time, and you don't have to actually pay to take the class. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, me and a bunch of other reviewers, like, we would go to shows five at a time. Uh, well, you know, you know, a bunch of other, like, reviewers my age would go to, uh, you know, go to shows five at a time and review them and, like, put them up as part of a class. Uh, and then the next year, uh, they were like, yeah, no, we, we want to, like, train new reviewers, so if you are interested for writing for the publication properly, the publication is rescripted.org, uh, just let us know. And I was like, yes, absolutely, I would love to do that. So, like, early 2019, I started writing for them. Um, and by then, the reviews were a lot better, because I'd taken the class, and I learned things. Um, and, uh, you know, and there's this whole principle of, like, empathetic reviewing, hmm. uh, because, like, it's interesting, because when you write reviews for movies, like Hollywood movies, you know, nobody involved in the production is ever going to read that review. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you write reviews about Chicago theater, everybody in the production is going to read that review. Personally, the only time I read reviews pre-doing this was when I was in a production, <laughs> and reviews came out for it. That was like the only time I read reviews, which is, no, I, I know that's like the opposite of the actor thing that you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to not read Just reviews. But like, yeah, exactly. The actor can have a little review as a treat. Um, um, what was I saying? Reviews. Right. So like, so like, I write a review that I think... So, like, I'm coming at it from an actor. Mm-hmm. I come at a lot of things from an actor perspective. Mm-hmm. I, write, I try to write plays that I think an actor would like doing. Uh, and, you know, I, so, therefore, I have to write a play that I would like being an actor in. Sure. Um, and I try to... And, and, and furthermore, when I try to write a play, I try to write a play that's like, no, every role is cool. Mm-hmm. Like, even if this character's on stage for five minutes, it's, like, the most hilarious five minutes or the most gut-punchingest five minutes or, like... Like, every... I, like, I want an actor who shows up to the theater and is being uh, paid $125 for three months of work. I want to give him something, you know? Yeah. And so, similarly, as a critic, I try to... Be, this is a thing I learned in this class, is, like, um, you know, I try to imagine sitting backstage before I am about to go on in this show as an actor mm-hmm. and reading this review that was just posted on rescripted.org. 
And if I acknowledge the problems in the production, I try to be like, this was the problem, here's maybe a couple reasons that problem could be, but I try to never blame it on one specific person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because theater is so collaborative that sometimes oh, yeah. it's the fault of one person, sometimes it's the <laughs> fault of fate and chance, and the wind was blowing the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, and, or, you know, if, if it's a really good show, I try to write a review of like, yes, uh, not only is this a really good show, but here's what you achieved with it. Here's what... Here's how you can apply. Here's how. Here's what audience members are thinking walking out of it. Here's the lessons that audience members can like apply to their real lives. Mm-hmm. Here's here's what this show has to say. You know, and 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 so then and then actor reading backstage is like, oh yes, great, he got it, mm-hmm. and and he's thinking he's like genuinely engaging with the ideas. And I try to do that for bad shows too, of like. Saying like, here's here's what I think this show was going for, and like, oh, here's maybe how it could have gotten there, you know. And and but you you have to be unjudgmental the whole time, mm-hmm. um, which you know that's also just a great moral for life. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so like I have a lot of opinions about this about how it should be done. Uh, but then like sort of towards the end of 2019, um, and I hope this is okay for me to say. I think it probably is. Um, my uh, editor, Regina, they asked me to do some, um, some to, t- to, t- to become an editorial assistant of uh, doing a-, a little bit of the uh, editing and uh, posting. Uh, and that's been really fun. That's been really amazing because this, this past fall, there was another session of the key Young Critics mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, program, and I've been getting to read their work. And, you know, it's so fascinating because these, these, because now, now I think of these guys as little youngins, even though I was like, they're not that much younger than me. I, I was only in the program last year. But, um, but like, I get to, you know, I get to read these guys and edit and comment on, on their work and help them, you know, write new reviews in this, in this sort of empathetic style. And it's so cool. Yeah. And, and also I, I get to, you know, I get to hear about a lot of Chicago theater without having to pay to go to see it. Um, so was nice. So, <laughs> so you know that's cool. I, I feel like I can. I, I feel like I can, like you know, 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 know a little bit, know something about the sh- these shows I haven't seen because now I'm incentivized to read other people's reviews. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm having fun with that. Is it hard for you to write a less than positive review? You think? Um, hmm. The worst type of review to write is a show that's like. It's pretty good. I just didn't like it all that much. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or a show that's like, you know, everything about it is competent, but I just did not connect with the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pe- editors don't like it when you point out how fucking subjective theater is in reviews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, 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 I've put it in a very draft, in s- several drafts when I try to explain this, you know, of like, Ugh, I you know you might like this show. I just don't. Theater yeah. is subjective, and the best thi- the, you know the whole job of a reviewer is to is to you know go to see a show, form a subjective opinion, and then write about your subjective opinion as if as if it's objective, and then sprinkle in some evidence to back it up yeah. to back up that supposedly objective opinion. That's all you can do. Whenever I try to write that in a review, my editor's always like, "No, delete that," because like it's a little too behind the scenes. It's a little like <laughs> it's a little like you know don't we we don't want them to look at that man behind the curtain. Yeah. Um, 
so like so the best I can do is like you know write reviews that sort of show that uh, that say like you know here's perhaps why I did not connect with this particular subject matter um, but you might or or in a, in a sort of in a more you know in a more uh, in a, it, it comes off as more kind that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, pe- people don't really uh, don't don't really like it when you start talking about theater theory and like subjectivity and objectivity. And editors don't like it when you get into theater theory and the theater review. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? Oh, just because like it feels like I'm trying to lecture somebody, oh. and I'm not. I'm just trying to tell you my opinion I'm about this show. To die. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's weird. It's very interesting and very dicey, and you have to. I think it's taught me to be a little more empathetic. Mm-hmm. Because you always have to be like, oh, this is the Chicago theater scene. It is small. Mm-hmm. At the very least, the marketing person from the theater is going to read it. At the very most, everybody involved with this production is going to read it. Um, and, you know, sometimes, like, the, be- the best kind of shows to write about is a really good show that is really relevant and you have a lot to say about it. Yeah. Like, in particular, I saw Next to Normal at Writer's Theater... And that was a fantastic show. It was directed by David Cromer. Yeah. So like, former you know, Columbia. You, you former Columbia alum. Yeah. He won a Tony mm-hmm. uh, for the band's visit, which mm-hmm. is also amazing. I saw it in Chicago at the Cadillac Palace, and it was delightful. Oh. Um, but he's very minimalist. And a, minimal, and a minimalist approach is exactly what you need for Next to Normal, because if you make it over the top, which lots of people have made Next to Normal very over the top, it comes off as a lampooning of mental illness. Yeah. And the thing about that character, Diana, is that like... It, 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 when when done right, next to normal is like a, a beautiful, like very subtle exploration of it. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I'm just I'm just like no. summarizing my review for you. But <laughs> I wrote a re- I was really proud of that review because not only was the show really good, it was really analyzable too. Analyzable is that a word? I don't know. Um, it can be. No. You you could you I, I I talked about it for a very long time and I I was able to be very organized about the way I talked about it, um, and and I was really proud of it. And then like you know people from people from writers theater read it and liked it. Hmm. And in particular, uh, Andra. Andra Vila Simon, who was our teacher at Columbia, I don't know if y'all took a class with her, but she was she did she was a lot of musical theater stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and she was the music director, and she sent me a message being like, "Oh my gosh, you know, I, I try not to respond to reviews, but uh, you know, thank you for that review, and I, I appreciate I, I, I appreciate that that you know you saw the hard work we put into it, and like and the messages that were supposed to come out of it, and like that's such a hard work." And then, um, oh, oh, and then when I saw Sundown Yellow Moon at Raven Theater, yeah. I was the only critic in Chicago who liked it. In fact, really? yeah, no, it was a very polarizing show. I oh. loved the absolute shit out of it, and everybody else thought it was boring. And, and I, they're, they're dumb. I disagree with them completely. Cody, we love you. Yes. And so, so here's the thing is that Cody... Cody, previous guest on this podcast, yes. <laughs> uh, he, it was great. He sent a little message to Regina being like, oh, Aaron's review was so nice. Uh, and, you know, I'm grateful that somebody got it. Somebody. Because a lot of the critics didn't really thought they thought it was slow and boring. Mm. And I was like, but no, no. Like, what they did with it is that they took these slow moments and they 
they they crafted them and so like each moment of stillness has is imbued with such like humanity and and forward momentum yeah. and so it creates this these it's feel it feels like a very intimate show yeah. um and so like yeah that was like a beautiful lovely little moment we agree the music was beautiful too the, the what the music yeah, for sundown yellow moon yeah did you guys see it yeah we saw it together oh, oh wonderful yeah it was so good right yeah. Yeah. Oh, I good. just I was so moved by it. Like it was it's the kind of show that you want to remember forever. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I would love to direct it someday. Do anyway, it. Anyway, one of these days. Yeah, I've been I have I've never taken a single directing class, but I've sort of You want to? Been discovering that yeah, I kinda do want to. Would you want to direct your own piece or someone else's? Mm-hmm. I don't know. On the one hand, I I'm very much against uh playwrights who direct their own shit. Yeah. I think that you need a second eye to direct it mm-hmm. because if you t- you get tunnel vision if it's if it's your own work that you're working with. But but I've also also I think reviewing theater has really sort of cleared up for me like what I want from a director, mm-hmm. what I want what I want as an audience member from the director, you know, and and I have a lot of ideas about things. I have a lot of ideas about how specifically I would do this play called Wittenberg by David Davalos. Um, it's a great play where um, Dr. Faustus and Hamlet and Martin Luther are all in college at the University of Wittenberg in like the 1500s. And it's this very heightened, uh, you know, because obviously the concept is very heightened. It's this yeah. very heightened show where like some characters talk in prose and others don't. Um, and it's fascinating because it's kind of sexist. Um, because you have the three main characters, uh, Martin Luther and John Faustus, who are both professors, and then Hamlet, who's a student, and then you have one actress who's, and they're listed in the script as the eternal feminine, and they play all the female characters, and I hate that, that's bullshit, it's gross. So what I want to do is that I want Faustus, Luther, and Hamlet to all be women, and have a guy in a dress play, um... Uh, have a guy in a dress play the eternal feminine. Um, although I don't know, part of me just wants to play Luther myself. I don't. So like, so like, so so you know, that's the that's the danger is that like uh, sometimes you really shouldn't be the director if you just want to be the actor in that show. But also like you know, if you have a, if you have a specific vision for a show, you should absolutely try and direct it. So like, I, like I so I have a lot of ideas like that, and I. I don't know if I've gotten more assertive in the last few years. Like, hopefully not too much, but, you know, like, I- enough. Uh, you know, that's, you know, that's sort of unrelated. That's just, you know, a thing that has happened to me. And I've, because since starting reviewing, I've, I've, I've started, like, um, you know, forming very concrete opinions about what I want out of any specific show. That's wonderful. Um, and so I think I could maybe do it. I've never seen it. I've never taken a directing class, but, you know, I'd like to. Or I could just like direct a tiny little thing and see how it goes. Or... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Get all handsy and crafty, just like, all right, I'm directing this one thing. Yeah, Why exactly. Not? Exactly. So I, I work I work with this this small group of Columbia people, uh, and we're calling ourselves the Point Theater Project. It's oh, a yeah. very yep. yeah, it's a very baby theater project. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we're doing. Last year we did a um, staged reading double feature, mm-hmm. uh, and. So last year I had a play of mine in it, 
Um, and it, it was so delightful. I had a great class, and Jen Sloan directed it. Uh, and she is a fantastic director. Did either of you guys see um, uh, Human Resources at Theater Evolve? No, oh, I missed it. She I'm directed so it, sad. and it was fucking amazing. It was like a 90-minute panic attack about the evils of capitalism. Oh, good. <laughs> it was so fucking amazing. I, I walked out and my legs were shaking and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> That's how good it was. It was like the most enjoyable panic attack in the histories of panic attack. Panic attacks. <laughs> Something you don't um, hear often. Yes. Anyway, what was I saying? Jen Sloan directed that last year. Um, so I would, so maybe like this year, I've, I've pitched this to them already of like, maybe I want to direct somebody else's play, uh, for the stage reading double feature and it's low stakes cause it's a stage reading, yeah. you know, but yeah, I can, yeah. Anyway, it's, yeah. So I've, I've something I've, I've sort of been kicking around for a while then. I've just sort of, I, this is the first time I've kind of said that in public. So <laughs> you, you should be very honored. You heard it here first I, listeners. Yes. So excited. Um, I have come out as a director. Yes, I know this is a very different... Oh, God. The headlines. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, do you actually have a preference in the writing of either like critic writing or creative writing? Oh, um, oh. Well, creative writing is much more fun. It's much more wild and crazy, and it's much more freeing. Um, but critic writing is... Great because it makes me flex that muscle often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to see and reviewing two shows a month, and um, you know I'm not always. Some of the writing it's just very utilitarian because I have to describe how I like the show. Yeah. But sometimes, usually this happens when the show is really good. I can get kind of poetic with it. I can and I can write things that I really like that are a little more lyrical and that I, I'm really proud of and, like, this would be a piece of good writing on its own. My review for Sundown Yellow Moon was like that in that, like, it's a poetic enough show that in reviewing it, I could get a little poetic about it mm-hmm. without making it feel like I tried to sneak creative writing in there because that's the fucking worst when the, <laughs> when the reviewer tries to be like, oh, I'm such a good writer. I'm going to talk about the leaves and the trees and... And you know, yeah, that's the worst. And it's like, no, just tell me what you thought about the show. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> that's why we're reading this. <laughs> yeah, that's what some of my early reviews were like. Um, <laughs> so, so, but so, yeah, creative reading is much more fun. Um, sorry, creative writing is much more fun. Um, and I love, I, I love writing plays that are like a little out there, yeah, a little crazy. I don't, I don't really write plays that take place in the normal human world. Um, every play I write has to have at least a little bit of a fantastical element. Because, uh, you know, I want to get crazy with it, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, even, even recently, I, I wrote, a, like, the, the play I did last year with uh, The Point at the stage reading was called Blinking Blue Light. And it was more, it was a lot more down-to-earth than recent things I'd written. Um, but there was still, like, this, this sort of surreal moment at the end. Or throughout, there's a motif of a blinking blue light, and then in the end, the character meets the meets the blinking blue light, and they're just a person in blue clothing, and and it's very sorry spoilers. Um, it's not really a spoiler, <laughs> but it's very uh, so. So I, try, I I I do I love keeping things heightened in creative writing. I, I love because you know we, when we did superheroes in love, yeah. Um, what I was trying to achieve with that was like it's seven vignettes and each vignette takes place in a very heightened reality 
like there was you 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 came out and did a monologue as a superhero, mm-hmm. and then there was a you know Beauty and the Beast parody one. Um, and then there was there's one that took place on Pluto. There was one that took place during a zombie apocalypse. And there was one that you were in that was delightful. That because uh, you were delightful and Andrew was delightful and Alec was fucking delightful. Uh, where you were elves and you were on a little space station above the Earth uh, collecting wishes during a meteor I shower. I love that one. Yes, I was very proud of that one. Um, and it was like, oh, these are all they they were all set in very fantastical places. But almost immediately, the fantastical backdrop took a took a second string to the relationships, and that's that's like what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want to write like really fun, crazy, weird stuff to give it this air of beautifulness, of of like ooh, heightenedness, and then and then like bring it real close and intimate to the characters. That's what I like to do. So like, so yeah, you no, know, creative writing is much more fun, and I would I would love to do it more often. Um, but I really enjoy critic writing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because I, I can, you know, it, sometimes it's less fun, but it, it really helps. I've, I've, I, I am writing much more now than I was three years ago mm. um, because it, it's weird. It's like you think that, like, if you – I'm going to make a parallel to exercising. If you think that if you start exercising more, you will have less time to do other things – but in reality, you just have more energy mm-hmm. to do other things. And this is the same principle of like, I thought that if I were writing all the time, I would have less time to like do my own shit. But now I write for fun more. Mm-hmm. I journal more. I write poems more. Um, and I, I feel more invigorated when I'm writing plays. And also, like, I feel I, like I know a bit more about writing plays now after writing reviews because I know what an audience I know what a critic is looking for I feel like I I, f- I feel like I've, I've gained a little bit of wisdom in terms of you know story structure and how it plays out on stage and how it affects the audience scene to scene yeah I bet yeah um, and so and so like yeah no absolutely being a critic has made me a better writer so like I'm grateful for it even if it's less fun sometimes mm-hmm. even if it's, if it's a little bit like a chore sometimes but you know you clean your room you have a nicer room <laughs> yeah yeah the good comparison exactly I've, I've been mixing the metaphors like something crazy and I've been spinning on this microphone a lot there's a lot of slobber on here now thank you Griffin um, you're welcome shout out the towel boy Griffin McCorkle <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway yeah, so anyway, that, that's, that's, that's that. I forget what the question was. No, um, you, you answered it. Oh, okay. You great. did it. Yeah. yeah. And so you actually also have some voiceover credits, yes. mostly our audiobooks. So how did you actually get those opportunities? Yeah, well, there's this guy, Bill, uh, Bill Dufries. He's great. I met him when I was a teenager in Maine um, because my mom works at the radio station, mm-hmm. and he needed – he, he had this nonfiction book – about um, about uh, you know uh, an old, an older guy who during the Holocaust was a teenage boy in Poland and he survived one of the concentration camps, um, and they needed a young voice to read his nonfiction book about uh, about this young Jewish boy's time in the concentration camps, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know it's a very depressing book, but uh, but but. My mom recommended me, so I got that first job, you know, through my mom, which, you know, thanks, mom. Um, and I was, like, 16 years old, um, and I went and read this audiobook for him. 
And you can get it on Amazon still. And I won't tell you the title of it because I hate listening to it. Because, you know, I was 16. I was not yeah. trained in anything. <laughs> I, 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 I talk, I'm talking like this. I, I, I'm, very, I'm very measly. And I, I don't have good breath support at all. Yeah. And I'm sure it was hell to edit. Um, you know, so, I, and, you know, I, so it's, it's really bad. Um, but, uh, so, but, good thing is that Bill kind of kept me on his radar. Yeah. Uh, so, like, every couple years... Uh, he will call. He will like send me an email or call me up and be like, "Hey, uh, you send me a recording of this thing real quick. I want you to audition for this thing." Oh, um, nice. Yeah, and it's great. And I've done a number of things uh, for him over the years. I was in uh, the Audible version of uh, Lock and Key, oh, which is now this a Netflix uh, series. It is now a Netflix series that started out as a graphic novel series. That's really good. It's written by Joe Hill. Um, uh, if you don't know who Joe Hill is, he wrote Horns. Um, he, he's a big horror writer. Yeah. He's the son of Stephen King, but he, he uh, just chose a different name because he didn't know. want to be associated with Stephen King. But, you know, it kind of failed because, you know, what did I just bring up? Um, but um, but he, he's a fantastic writer, and he partnered, partnered with an artist to make this beautiful graphic novel series. And then Audible turned it into an audio series, mm-hmm. uh, and I play a sort of uh, supporting character in it. Um, yeah, and it, it, it was it was so much fun. I got to like hang out. Um, we, it was all like recorded on location. So every time there was a scene in a car, it was recorded in a car. Every time there was a scene in a house, we like there was this big old house in Saco, Maine that we that we uh, recorded in. Um, and there's there's even one cool scene where uh, there is like takes place in a spooky underground cavern. And so we went into the basement of this mill. Like, there's this old mill. It used to be a mill, but now it's like, you know, apartments and restaurants and stuff. But the basement is still very echoey and spooky. So they went down there to record, to record like, you know, spooky cavern, you know, you know, Joe Hill novel uh, <laughs> things. Um, yeah. My, my biggest claim to fame with that project is that there were, you know, there were some celebrities who were in it. Mm-hmm. And I never met any of them because I recorded my stuff in Maine and they recorded their stuff in like, you know, fancy yeah. studios in California or whatever. But there is a scene where Kate Mulgrew, a.k.a. Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager and also Red on Orange is the New Black. Oh. Um, she plays my abusive grandmother. And there is a scene, now we were never in the same room together, but it's edited together, so that sounds like this. There is a scene where she puts out her cigarette on my face and I scream. And it's edited together so that it sounds like that actually happens, Uh and it's delightful. Uh, anyway, that's my biggest claim to fame as of right now. Are you still in contact with him? Like, is yeah, he still calling Yeah, I just him? did something for him at the beginning of the month. I just flew out to Maine. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, I don't know if I can talk about that. That's um, okay. okay yeah, but that, yeah, I just, I, yeah, that's all I can say is that I did something for, I, I, I went back to Maine. Uh, coming out. Right around uh, the 7th, uh, and um, I, I recorded that with him, and it was, it was a lot of fun. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm sure you know, and I'm hoping it's the same guy, because I was Googling him. The voice of Bob the Builder? He is the voice of Bob the Builder. Wait, what? That is correct. Mm-hmm. And okay, he, I'm sorry, because I'm looking at the questions. I'm, I see William Duffer's Bob the Builder. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I was yes. Very, I was very William, confused. William Dufries. William Dufries. Um, he is, William Dufries. He is Bob the Builder. That is his biggest claim to fame. What? Um, and now he, he... It's great. He, it's, it's cool. He has this audio, audio company... 
that he runs. He has, it's really cool. He has, it must have used to have been a shed or a guest house or something or a boathouse. Yeah. But he has a little house in his backyard that's just an audio studio. And it's a little cramped, but it's really cute. There's like pictures everywhere and there's sound poofing everywhere. And you go inside, you put on the headphones and, um, and you just record, record stuff. Is there a doll, Bob the Builder, in there? (laughs) There is not. We gotta fix See, I, so I, I empathize with that. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I guess. You you're, know, you're most well-known Robert role. Pattinson is gonna be asked about Edward for the rest of his fucking life. Yeah, he's you know? And so, like, I'm sure he's proud of Bob the Builder, but, like, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, as an actor, you wanna do other things. Sure. You know? yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I get that. Um, so, anyway. I just thought that was a fun fact. Yeah, it is a fun it's fact. It's fantastic It is fact. a fantastic fact. I do tell people that whenever I say, like, oh, this guy, uh, you know, he's, uh, he, he's got a voiceover gig for me. He's Bob the Builder, actually. I do tell people that. I just forgot to this time. It's like, well, so, but it, it, fix it. it was actually better because you guys have got to have the slow realization. Yes. <laughs> Slow. I had like, it slower than who she is did. This I was guy? Like, who is William DeFries? Why is Bob the Builder yeah. part of the Google Doc? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. He's great. He's great. Uh, He's great. Hi, 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 Bill. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Ho- hope you're doing well. You're doing How well. you doing? How you doing? Can you fix it? Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh no. Oh, oh well, no. Well, on that note, no. we have to start wrapping up. I'm, I'm sure that's <laughs> very. I'm sure it's like me with that Key and Peele sketch. Oh. Uh, you know, of, of how like whenever somebody calls me a Aaron, I get A-A-Ron, I get yeah. flames in oh, my eyes. Yeah, you know, I'm sure it's like that with him. <laughs> anyway, but yes, yeah, so unfortunately, we have to start wrapping up. Uh, I know. Um, do you have anything that you want to promote that's coming up? Oh shit! I probably do. Um, well, oh, oh, probably. Oh God, I draw a yeah, blank. It's, it's like when somebody asks you your favorite book, oh, and you immediately any, forget every book you've I read. Don't remember anything. Sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter if you are on Twitter or Instagram uh, if you want to see my reviews. That's where I, I post all my reviews. They're always linked in my bio. You can check out rescripted.org. Um, and also, like, you know, if I have any upcoming projects, like, you know, plays that I wrote that are having a performance or directing, you know, you can, all, you can always find me on there. Uh, you know, and on Twitter, you can also find my, you know, very stray <laughs> observations about Birds of Prey. I just saw Birds of Prey last night. It was delightful. And of course, this morning, I woke up and tried to recreate the exact sand- sandwich that Harley Quinn loses in the, in the first act of... Sorry, spoilers. I have to see the movie now. Okay. I haven't seen the movie yet either. It's, it's, you know, people have accused the, heart, the new you know, Birds of Prey of being... Of, people have accused it of being less sexy than the first one. Hmm. Which, first off, like, you know, get your male gaze out of here. But second right. off, you clearly did not watch the scene with the sandwich. Because it's delightfully pornographic. You get a close-up of, like, the eggs going on the stove and the bacon frying and the, and the oh, bread. Yeah. Oh, that's a spoiler, but, like, kind of mm. like, see the movie now. All right. I actually started salivating in the Maybe theater because that's oh, how wow. beautifully shot the sandwich scene was. Uh. Anyway, we're gonna have pop instead. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, if if you if you if you, if you the point is if you follow me on Twitter, you get all that. You get all those adventures. Yes. That's uh, that's my that's my opinion. You can you can look of the at the picture of the exact sandwich that I made. Speaking, anyway. of, speaking of opinions, yes. it's time for. Oh, please. No, please, please. I'll be quick about it. What's the question? Uh, do you have any advice or oh, errant yes, words yes. of wisdom for our listeners? Do I have advice? Oh, probably. I don't know. Um, I think I gave a piece of advice earlier, but I forget what it was. Um, well, time to rewind. <laughs> Go back, listeners. 
Um, do I have any advice? Oh, like, oh, you got to be more specific. Do I have any advice for specific people? Whichever you want. It could oh. be for critics, for performers, yeah. for oh. astronomers. Just for... have fun with it and value your own time. Value your own time, like, on a psychological level. Like, if something's not making you happy, you got to stop doing it. But also value your time on a monetary level. Because until we, uh, you know, escape this horrible capitalist hellscape that we're living in, that's what you got to do. You know, you got you to gotta stop letting people, you know, get free labor out of you. Mm -hmm. Which happens a lot in the theater community. Did you see that whole thing about how they did all the calculations, like the average non-equity wage yeah. in Chicago is I like one fifty an hour or something? You gotta, you gotta stop people, stop letting people like, you know, take advantage of you monetarily. You know, also emotionally and all that bullshit. But like, you know, <laughs> but yeah, value yourself, love yourself in in dollar signs. Self love. You know, speaking of loving yourself. Let's, it's time for a game. <laughs> oh my god! That was the best transition. I, I was waiting for the right one. And, yes. Alright, uh, this game is called Time for Two. Two minutes on the clock. Two minutes of okay. the greatest icebreaker okay. questions in the world. I've, I've listened to this on the podcast before and it's very stressful. So, It'll be fine. Okay. Just believe in yourself. Alright, ready? Yes. Three, two, one, go. What's your favorite food? Uh, Chinese thing, Chinese food. Have you ever kicked down a door? Uh, no. Favorite movie genre? Uh, Knives Out. Do you know how to tie a bow tie? Yes. No. Actually, no. <laughs> What's your star sign? Uh, Aries, but I don't care. Uh, favorite SNL character? Uh, uh, Target Lady. Karaoke song of choice? Uh, uh, just, just the way you look tonight. What did you have for breakfast? Uh, Harley Quinn sandwich! Hey! Favorite oh, fairy tale? Favorite fairy tale? Pass. Do you believe in ghosts? Uh, no. Are you good at cooking? Uh, medium. Timon and Pumbaa. No. <laughs> deal or no deal? Uh, no deal. Do you make your bed every day? Uh, uh yeah, 50% of the time. Are you afraid of Virginia Woolf? Uh, yes. Boxing and wrestling? Uh, neither. Oh. Do you have an alcoholic drink of choice? No, I don't drink alcohol, because it tastes bad. <laughs> do you, uh, do you want to be a millionaire? Uh, $200,000 is fine. <laughs> is your refrigerator running? Uh, yes. Earth, wind, or fire? Uh, wind. Who's bringing sexy back? I am, because I've, I've brought the fanny pack pack, so that's next on oh, my list. Oh, there we go. AC or DC? Uh, uh AC, air conditioning. <laughs> Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Uh, Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Yeah. Pass. Uh, are you a listener or a talker? Uh, <laughs> talker trying to get better at listening. <laughs> <laughs> what's your Potter house? Uh, Ravenclaw. Do you hit the treadmill or hit the couch? Uh, couch, but I exercise, too. <laughs> you go. What's your favorite smell? Um, oh, Chinese food again. Uh, death by fire or ice? Uh, fire. What shape is on the moon? Uh, bunny rabbit. Fork, spoon, or knife? Uh, fork. Got milk? No. Do you yahoo? No. Do we all live in a yellow submarine? No, we live on a planet called Earth. Favorite kind of grandma's cookies? Uh, uh grandma's cookies? Oh, oatmeal raisin. Oh, that's okay. oh, that was perfect! Good job! Amazing! You survived! You, you did it! Yes! It wasn't really nearly as stressful as I thought it was going to be. No! no. Yes! No! You're great! Yay! <laughs>
Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Most people, like, you ask them to be on your podcast because they're cool Chicago theater people, but I actually asked to be on this podcast because I liked it so much. (laughs) And you were great to have on. Oh, thank you you so much. But we have one final question. Yes. Aaron Lockman. Are, Are your, your parents, parents proud, proud of, you? of you? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I hope so. Oh, that was lovely. Yes, I think my dad's a little befuddled by me, but no less proud. We'll take that. We'll take yeah. that. Yeah. Cool. We'll take that. There you go. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, no problem. And that was our interview with Aaron Lockman. What a great time. Yeah, that was so much fun. Honestly, I just love Aaron's creativity and thoughts and ideas and plays, and I love working with superheroes in love with them. Yeah, and I should definitely read more of their reviews. It's, they seem like they have a good idea. Oh, I love that idea about, about uh, empathy. Chicago theater, yeah. Definitely. Well, of course, all of this would not be made possible by the Towel Boy, Griffin McGordon. Oh my gosh, Towel Boy? No. What's wrong with it? No, Towel Boy just sounds so weird. I thought we agreed on, like, Towel Man, Towel Person, at least. Like, He's maybe not there janitor, yet. I guess. Whoa, 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 whoa. Janitor? Janitor, because they do so much more than just wipe with towels. Excuse me, wiping is the ultimate power. Yeah, like wiping your ass. Okay, guys, we're... we're Shut up, towel! Shut up, towel man! I... okay. God, you know what? I can't work under these circumstances. I said... This is... Listen, in my contract, it said that I got to you make all the names. You have a contract? I want a damn contract. No, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I need to talk to my agent about... You have an agent? All of this. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm just... Whatever. You know what? Great. Great. It's okay. They don't need you. I'm at, just going to join the library at, and just go well, out to the public. Connor Wiper Brown. God. Should, should we cut? Shut up. Well, if you want to follow the more of the drama, you'll follow us at Parents Proud Podcast at gmail.com or the Instagram at Parents Proud Podcast. Like us on Facebook. Go to the website. You can go to that on the Facebook page. And that is it for us today. I am a very tense Matthew Shoof writer. Connor Brown is somewhere far away. And Griffin, anything else you want to say? Good. We'll see you next time.